there. It's going to smell like my backyard on a bad day because I live so close to Shafter. <laughs> Not, nothing against Shafter, by the way. Just, they have a big dairy farm there with cows. So anyway, moving on. Yes, that's three weeks from now. And by the way, I am going to be suiting up for that football game. You will see me capernicking the whole day. So uh, as I throw touchdown after touchdown, <laughs> uh, it's, it's all for fun, right? I mean, we don't really care who wins, right? It's just to have fun, right? <laughs> Stick to the chili. No, the, actually, the chili cook-off will be really neat, though. We're going to get a cool prize. And last time we did it, we had like nine crockpots full of chili. And I got to admit, coming from the Northwest, chili was like one thing, really, you know? Out of a can. <laughs> good, good. But when I came to my first chili contest here, you people have some amazing ideas for chili. I mean, I, there are some things that were called chili I would have never thought to call chili. Uh, so I am really looking forward to this three weeks from now. By the way, this Friday, uh, we're going to have a catered dinner from Los Hermanos, Mexican food, for people who will come and help decorate the church for Christmas. So uh, come on out this Friday, 5.30, uh, Marge uh, Fetzer's going to organize it. I'm going to have everything down, you know, ready to, ready to go. So, um, so this Friday, uh, that's, that's the one announcement Mark missed. I missed it. I missed it, sorry. Did you take an offering? Yeah, okay. I may have spaced, spaced out during that. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Um, by the way, Mark, you get to play football? No beans. No beans. <laughs> Just hoping I could lay a little hit on them. So, <laughs> all right. Well, let's uh, go ahead and pray. And if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Go to verse 31. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. We pray now as we open up uh, <clears throat> the Bible that, God, that you would uh, teach us from it, uh, that we would be taught by you, and uh, that we would have a conversation with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, this earlier... My kids are now six, seven, and nine, and they still call me daddy, which I have no problem with. In fact, they may die. I may die, and they're still calling me daddy, uh, which is fine. But, you know, we kind of approach the conversation, you know, are there some other words we could now begin to apply to me? And, of course, they asked me my suggestion, and I said, well, how about dad? That's always a good one. They're like, no, it's too boring, you know, so... Uh, one of my sons that really likes to watch that show, Little House on the Prairie, so he's like, why don't we call you Pa? I was like, I, I, I'm, I don't look like a Pa. I'm not a Pa. You know, I, I like that, but, you know, I don't think Pa is going to do it, you know. And, and uh, of course, another, <clears throat> another one of my sons is like, he's got a lot of uh, Spanish-speaking friends. He's like, why don't we call you Señor? It's like, nah, that's not really us either, you know, and course, little Thomas always just, you know, why don't we just call you the old man? <laughs> Not yet, you know. <laughs> well, yeah. You know, we're, we're kind of coming up with all these names, and of course, one of them, as a joke, says, I know, we'll call you what the church calls you. And I'm thinking, no, you can't call me pastor, you know. No, no, we'll call you Barney Rubble. <laughs> you were in church last Sunday, and you heard that. So I figured, you know what, we'll just go ahead and go back to daddy. You know, I think we'll, we'll do that. But, but you know, it's interesting what's in a name. 
you know, if you were to put your name and then the word the and then another blank by it, you know, what, what sorts of things might come out of it? You know, I mean, if I look at John back there and I say, John the, what do you think? Baptist? Baptist? Oh. <laughs> You're wearing the wrong clothes, man. I literally meant John. <laughs> I'll come over here. Dan the? Man. <laughs> Whoa, wait a minute. That was what you're supposed to say when you get to me. <laughs> Dan the man. I like that. How about Dennis the? Man. Man. <laughs> I opened you up to that, didn't I? <laughs> this is not working. All right. How about Carmen the? Singer. Thank you. <laughs> and, and back there, we got Mark Christian, the? Newscaster. <laughs> you don't want to know what I called them last service. <laughs> I know. And finally, we have Tom, the? Pastor. Oh, come on. We can do better than that. Tom, the? All right. Tom, the? Ah, I was fishing for something better than that. You know, my kids, one of my kids is like, Tom, the? And he goes, turd ball. <laughs> Great alliteration there, Thomas. You know, your name is Thomas, too. <laughs> you know, a name says a lot. Turning a little serious here, there's a law in the country of India and the law states that physicians cannot tell pregnant women what the gender of their baby is. It's a law now that they're, they're, you're not supposed, they're not supposed to know. And the reason is because in India, it's very frowned upon, not frowned upon, it's very difficult for them to have girls. Uh, with girls, you have, to, you have to arrange the marriage. Uh, to a young boy. You have to pay the dowry for that girl. In other words, you have to pay the family to take her as wife. And by the way, these dowries in our dollars would be somewhere around twenty dollars to $25,000. Now, I know some of you are thinking, that's what I pay for a wedding. But I mean, this is, you know, twenty dollars to $25,000 no matter what. And also, there's something a little bit deeper. In the, in the Hindu faith, you know, after they die, they believe that they get, I said last service, I said, they get recycled. You know, I, I was corrected. Somebody corrected me and said they get reinterpreted, re-in, reincarnated. They all work, don't they? You know, reincarnated. And if you have a daughter, they cannot light the funeral pyre that would guarantee you'd come back as a human. Uh, if you had all girls, I mean, you could come back as a, you know, armadillo you know it's just you have no clue over what's going to happen so there's really you know what they were finding was as women found out they were going to have girls they would have elective abortions because they did not want to add a girl to the family well after the law uh, many of these mothers began having girls obviously half of them were girls and they began to name these girls nakushi which in the Hindi language means unwanted. They were named that. Would you like that for a name? Hi, I'm Tom the Unwanted. And they would bear this name. 
uh, for life. And of course, many of them ended up being abandoned. Obviously, if you'd name somebody that, you know, it'd be very easy to be abandoned or run away. As Christian missionaries began to flood more of the interior of India, going beyond the realms of the British influence and into the inner passages of India, they began to come across these Nakushi girls. They were the unwanted. And I thought the approach of the Christian missionaries was some of the best examples of Christianity on the planet today. You know, they would teach, they would talk to these young girls about who they were and about Jesus Christ as the Son of God. But before they'd buy them a Bible, before they put proper clothes on them, before they, well, I'm sure they put proper clothes on them. But, but you know, before they did all of the, you know, Christian education that we normally think of that goes into discipleship, they would send for money and they would go before a judge and they would legally change the name of these girls to the name Vaishali, which means prosperous, beautiful, and good. And they would look at the girls and say, you are no longer Nakushi. You are Vaishali. And for some of them, it would take them years to get that, that they were no longer Nakushi, unwanted, but that they were Vaishali, beautiful, prosperous, and good. Paul would write in the book of Galatians that there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. In the book of Romans, he would say anyone, and Christina had said this in words, anyone who places their trust in Jesus will never be put to shame. He says, because he is the same Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. There's another neat story in the Gospel of John, chapter 8. I mean, neat in some ways and horrific in others. You know, Jesus was in the city of Jerusalem, and he heard a curdling scream, the kind of scream that an animal would never make. The kind of scream that doesn't come through pain, physical pain. The kind of scream that comes through humiliation. You see, the leaders of the Jews had found a woman in bed with a man who was not her husband. And they took the woman and brought her to Jesus and said, Now you know that the law of Moses states that this woman must be stoned. What do you say, Jesus? And Jesus says, okay, the, one of, the, first, the, the, one of, the first one of you that doesn't have any sin in their life, you be the first one to cast a stone. And then Jesus begins drawing in the sand. Very rare. Although a lot was written about Jesus, this is perhaps the only occurrence we have where Jesus wrote something. He knew how to write. He wrote something. We're not told what it was, but I would like to offer you a guess. 
I think Jesus wrote a name. And I think the name was Rahab. Rahab would have been Jesus's great, 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 way back there. Grandmother. But she was there in Jesus's family line. And all of those Jewish priests would have known exactly the meaning of Rahab. And this morning, that's what I'd like to talk about. Rahab and what she still says to us today. Amen? The verse in Hebrews chapter 31 is one sentence. By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was killed with those was not killed with those who were disobedient. Rahab. Rahab. Mention your name, her name, and usually only one thing comes to mind. Rahab was a prostitute. She rented herself out, if you know what I mean, in what has sometimes been called the world's oldest occupation, you know, whether or not it is. For thousands of years, in fact, since we have recorded human history, there has, prostitution has been an occupation. And the Bible makes no bones about the fact that this woman, who is listed among all these great giants of faith who are men, that this woman was a prostitute. In fact, the Bible makes no attempt to cover up her past whatsoever. First time we meet her is in Joshua chapter 2 in the Old Testament. The spies come to her house, and she's called Rahab the prostitute. We meet her two more times in Joshua chapter 6. Both times she is called Rahab the prostitute. Then in the New Testament, we meet her again in the book of James chapter 2, and she's called Rahab the prostitute. And finally, our verse here in the book of Hebrews, she's known as Rahab the prostitute. Boy, there's a lot in a name, isn't there? Aren't you glad that we don't think like that today? Or do we? Five times we see the name Rahab the prostitute. And I wonder, as a society and as a people, if we've lost sense as to how degrading that can be. I'm not a woman. I can't always relate to it. I've had to talk to women to see uh, how degrading sexual looseness may be when it's applied to them. And they tell me that it's, it's not only degrading, they feel devalued as a person. Cheap, not special, not worth anything. You know, it's Hollywood has almost managed to glamorize prostitution as if it, was, if it was some fun game. Sex in general seems so casual that let's face it, as a society of Americans, we're really not surprised by anything anymore, are we? So what if teens experiment? So what if married men and married women are having affairs? One of my teachers had said something once. I, I tried to write it word for word because I, I felt like it was a very good warning and a very good thought for me to kind of come back to every now and then. He really views uh, the way that we process things like guilt or shame or negative stress, that we look for a shot 
that we can inoculate ourselves with so that we don't feel those negative feelings anymore. He writes this. When it comes to common morality in the 21st century, it seems that we have almost completely inoculated ourselves from guilt or the worry of our actions with a wide array of antidepressant drugs, therapies, personal strategies for dealing with stress, such as escape into the modern media, drug addiction, food addiction, workaholism, narcissism. We have developed a wide menu for dealing with the effects of negative stress, unhappiness, guilt, or a heavy heart. In fact, the greatest psychological achievement of the 21st century will not that we have explored more of the brain, but that we will finally overcome our conscience's hold on us as one moral barrier after another is liberated in our popular culture. We drift ever more toward a world of every man and every woman for himself, a world where our accountability for our actions is no longer to a benevolent God, but to an indifferent human government. But will it be the utopia that mainstream culture is promising? Rahab would probably say no. That was the world she lived in. It was the world that Rahab chose to leave, risking being an outsider for just one chance to be under God's dominion. You see, she'd had enough. The scars had piled up. For most conscience-sensitive people, sexual immorality always leaves a scar or a wound on the soul. So what about Rahab? She had been so sick of the scars, sick of the wounds, sick of the cycle of her life, that when two spies came to her door and told her about the God who'd rescued them from slavery, the God who parted the sea that they would be safe, the God who provided food in the barren wilderness, the God who hovered in a majestic glory over the tabernacle, the God who had been with them every step of the way, the God who had forgiven them of things along the way, the God who had, the God, the God, the God, the God, the God, all of a sudden, Rahab begins to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. Go with them. Toss in with them. Come under God's protection. Come into God's family. The spies had come to Rahab's house wanting information about Jericho for the imminent Israelite invasion. But while the spies were fleecing Rahab for information, Rahab was fleecing the spies for information about God. And by the end of it, she'd made her choice. I'm going to toss in with God. I believe in Him. I want to come under His jurisdiction. I want His forgiveness. I only ask you one thing. When you guys invade, and the whole town knows your God is with you and you'll win, when you invade, please spare me and my family. What a neat woman. Of all the people in heaven I'd like to sit down and have a conversation with, Rahab is on the top of the list. 
because she's one of the few people who didn't just think about herself, did she? She said, and when you come, please spare me and my family. And that's exactly what she, they did. She tied a red cord on one of the orifices of her house, and the armies passed by that house, and the, all of the people inside were spared. They were saved from certain destruction. Corey Ten Boom uh, was one of the Jews who was detained by the Nazis in World War II. And she was in one of the terrible concentration camps. Does anybody remember which one? Who read the book, The Hiding Place? I want to say Auschwitz, but it might have been Dachau or one of the other big, big ones. Was it Dachau? Yeah. And uh, what they would do in the Dachau concentration camp is you had medical inspection once a week. And so what they would do is all of the ladies would come without any clothes, and they would stand in a line in front of all of the Nazi German male guards, and they would slowly go through a line and be examined by a doctor. And so Corrie Tim Boom uh, wrote in her book, she couldn't imagine uh, how enticing or enjoying it would be to see such emaciated bodies, bellies bloated from malnutrition, legs as skinny as a, a, a starving dog, other parts that just had decayed under the deteriorating conditions of the camp. And she finally would go in, and the doctor would stick a tongue depressor, and they weren't checking for anything on the body. They were checking their teeth for tooth decay. She said, but week after week, we would go in there and humiliate ourselves and wonder what was so attractive about us at that moment. And then one day she said, it came to me. When they executed Jesus, they executed him naked. That even the God who I was crying out to deliver us from these terrible Nazis, that Jesus himself hung on the cross naked, that Jesus himself identifies with the humiliated, he identifies with the outsiders as he was crucified outside the city. We come back to Rahab. We don't know how she became a working girl. We don't know how she became that. Bible doesn't tell us. But you know what? Everybody has a come from. Everybody has a past. And the thing that I've, the conclusion I have come to is we are not qualified to be each other's judge. We must leave that to God and God alone. Rahab was what she was. How did she get there? I don't know. But I doubt she woke up one day and said, that's great. I think I'll go down that route. She was probably a shrine prostitute, a, a, an innkeeper on the one hand, but also in that culture, there were thousands of employed religious rituals prostitutes that she would have been sold into long before she had a choice. The second thing is, we don't really know her family background. We don't know her religion, except to know that she wasn't raised to believe in the God of the Bible. But also, if you really look at the story, we don't know if Rahab 
was even looking for a better life when the spies came. You know, we always have this picture of people, you know, oh, my life is so horrible, God, and, and everything's just so terrible. Just please save me, please. You know, we, we, we get this picture of people kind of literally brought on their knees, and you know. But with Rahab, we don't really have that sense. In fact, it's a lot like Paul. The Apostle Paul wasn't looking for, for God or looking for Jesus Christ when Jesus revealed himself to him. He was on his way to Syria to kill as many Christian followers as he could. And then God turns a flashlight on him, blinds him, and speaks from heaven. You almost get the same feel with Rahab. She, may, she was probably not even looking, but she had heard the stories. And when the spies came in and were fleecing her for information about Jericho, Rahab was fleecing the spies for information about God. And here's the most important point. What she heard, she believed. And when she believed, she became a part of God's family. She became a part of the people of God and was spared in the destruction of the town. There's a, another popular story of a young girl from Brazil named Cristina Ramirez. And uh, she was born in a village in Brazil recently, uh, maybe 20 years ago or so, or 25 years ago. And obviously, modern technology had already reached Brazil. And Cristina had heard about the, the big city and the, the electricity and all this kind of stuff. She was still living in a village in Brazil. She was sleeping on a wooden crate. That was her bed. And so she decided, when I get old enough, I'm ditching this village, and I'm going to go out, and I'm going to see what's out there for me. Sure enough, a few years into her teen years, uh, she snuck out of her house, ran away from home, and went out to see the big city. Her mother was crushed and heartbroken. And her mother knew what would soon happen with one of the village girls who ended up in the city with no food. She, too, would end up becoming a lady of the night. So her mom went down to the place where they copy photos. What do they call those again? Photo, photo, not copiers, but, I mean, we're all in a digital age now. I haven't gone to one in probably a decade, but, you know, where you take your film down, they print it for you. Photoshop, I guess. And she was going to have pictures distributed of her daughter for people to, to find but then she realized something. She did not have a picture of her daughter. She only had one picture, and it was of herself. And then the idea hit her. She went down to the Photoshop, and she had the Photoshop print up as many pictures as her measly little money could get her. And she took all those pictures and she wrote a little message on the back of them. And she began to place them in all the hotels, the bars, the nightclubs, the brothels, the, the places where these kinds of women would congregate. Knowing that eventually she'd have to end up there. And sure enough, when Christina began to get hungry and tired of sleeping on the street, after weeks of psychological agony, she decided that she would rent herself out to earn some money. There was only one problem. No man would hire her. Odd. 
odd part of the story. She thought, hey, all men are animals. I'm sure I'll, I'll get a customer. No one hired her. Not only has she gone through the psychological torture to get to the point of renting herself out, now that she was at that point, she was still unwanted. She went into the bathroom of the hotel to try to wash up, and there she saw a picture of her mother. And she began to cry uncontrollably. She grabbed it. She looked on the back, and the note read, whatever you have become, you can come home. I love you, Mom. She put that card in her pocket, and she traded her plush bed of cotton mattress to go back to the wooden pallet. But she went back home. And I thought, isn't that a great picture of God with us? That rather than plastering our picture all over the world, wanted, dead or alive, God has placed his picture all over the world. I see him in you. I see him in many of you, not all of you. I see him out there sometimes in the city. I see him sometimes at the school my kids go to. His picture all over the world with one message. No matter what you've become, you can come home. The work on the cross, all is forgiven. Love, Dad. That's God's message to us. And you know what? I think that's what Rahab picked up. All Rahab's life, used and abused. Yeah, she profited. She owned her own home in a society controlled by men. You got to give her that. But if you could see the dark lines in her face, the unhappiness around her eyes, when those spies came and told her about all God had done for their people, Rahab didn't even take a second look back. She wanted to come home and be with her creator, forgiven, filled with love and purpose. So my point this morning is very simple. It's not the amount of faith you have. Now, some may say, oh, I got a lot of faith. Oh, I don't have a lot of faith. Some of you may think here, you know, I, I'm going to church so I can get more faith. <laughs> some of you may think, I don't have any faith at all. I'm just kind of curious what people of faith even look like. They look like every other human on the planet. Some of you may say, Pastor Tom, you've got more faith than me. Maybe I do in some areas. Maybe I don't in others. My point this morning is it's not about the amount of faith you have. It's who or what you place your faith in. And I promise you, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, he'll only do you good. Like Rahab, you'll come out and into God's family where neither Jew nor Greek, 
slave nor free, male nor female, but all are one in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. This morning, we're going to take communion together. Usually, I have the ushers come down and we pass the plate and everybody takes it. But this morning's a little different because all week I've been having conversations with Rahab. And one of the things I feel Rahab telling me is, I was not forced to take God. It was not forced upon me. I heard the story and I made the choice. And so this morning I want to offer to you, it's your choice uh, to come on to the sides here and there is the cup of the juice and the, and the wafer. And those represent two of the foundational aspects of Christianity. The bread representing the body of Jesus, which was sacrificed on the cross, that he died for our sins. And the blood, the blood of Jesus that was shed uh, for, for the same reason, for the forgiveness of our sins. And this morning we celebrate that. We celebrate that as our choice, like Christina, like Corey Tinboom, like those Vaishali girls in India, that we would cross over from death to life to become part of God's family. You know, if there is any story in the Bible that could be titled Saved by Grace, Rahab would be the poster girl for it. So long ago when they brought the adulterous woman before Jesus, I think he wrote Rahab and silenced the mouths of those judgmental men. For all of you ladies here this morning, I'll freely admit, I am preaching on a, a subject that will mean something to you that it could never mean to me because I'm not female and I'm not a woman. I have never felt the violation in that way that you might have. But I pray today you'd take inspiration and you'd also take example from Rahab. Because the rest of the story is a happy ending. Hold on, before we do communion, let me, t let me tell you the rest of the story. Rahab was spared from the invasion. She lived. In fact, she met a man who was probably part of the invasion force. Perhaps even one of the spies she brought into her home called Salmon. You know what Salmon did? He asked Eleazar, the priest, if he could marry Rahab. And Salmon married Rahab. Rahab went from being a prostitute to being a wife. Rahab became Salmon's wife. And they had a son. You know what their son's name was? Son's name was Boaz. Any of you ladies who have studied the book of Ruth, you know who Boaz is? He's the one who redeemed poor old Ruth, who was stuck in the land of Israel, even though she was from Moab. You know, you know who Ruth, mar Ruth married Boaz? You know what their son's name was? Obed. Nothing much there, right? You know Obed's son's name was? Jesse. That's a pretty cool name, isn't it? If I have another son, I'm going to name him Jesse. But I'm not having another son. Just to put that out there. 
<laughs> you know who Jesse's son's name was? David. Rahab was David, King David's great-great-grandmother. And you know whose ancestor, who, who David was ancestor to? Jesus. Rahab, the prostitute, is part of Jesus' family line. Once again showing God came to earth to be one of us, to live with us, and to save us as one of us. He lived and died as one of us. God was not so proud that he couldn't get down in the dirt with us. God is not proud, by the way. Rahab, the prostitute, became Rahab, the princess. In heaven, God changes your name. And he changed hers from Rahab, the prostitute, to Rahab, the princess. Amen? I'm going to invite the worship team back forward. They're going to begin to play a song. And as you feel that, I'd ask nobody leave yet. The service hasn't concluded. Give me a few more minutes of your time. But as you feel led, just in an orderly fashion, on the sides over here are a table with the wafer and the juice. You can, right then and there, take communion under God and say, God, thank you for allowing me to come into your family. That's all you got to say. I celebrate this in remembrance of you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus that was shed for me and the body that was broken for me. You can do that. For those of you who are that's uncomfortable, I'm going to come up at the end and I'll minister it for everybody. Okay? All right.
On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he handed it around to his disciples. He lifted it up and he said, do this, eat this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of the body of Christ that was broken for you. For those who have saved it, let's go ahead now and eat together the body of Christ broken for us. On the same night, uh, Jesus took the cup, he passed it around, and he said, this is my blood, the blood of forgiveness shed for you and for all. Drink this in remembrance of me. So this morning we drink the cup, the cup of the blood that was shed for us. Amen? Why don't we do this? I'm going to have Christina, we're going to go ahead and sing this uh, uh, chorus one more time. Why don't we all stand together and we'll close church the way it should. Amen? One of the beautiful things about Jesus is, and you know me, I've read a lot about ancient religions, a lot about modern religions. I think the reason why the story of Rahab touches us so deep is Jesus was one of the first to truly empower and honor and acknowledge that women stand equal to men in the sight of God. That they stand equal next to men at the foot of the cross. And Jesus' celebration of women coming into the family, women caught, caught in adultery, women like his grandmother Ruth or great-grandmother, great-great-great-grandmother Rahab, Jesus restored the dignity and the value of womanhood. And all throughout the New Testament, you see no difference. Uh, you see no, uh, it, that there is neither slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. So now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May God be gracious to you and grant you peace under one Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you next Sunday, same time, same place, this Friday night. Come on out. Help decorate the church. We're going to have some Mexican food this Friday night, 530. See you then.